My name is Rob. Uh, very glad to meet you. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, the lead elder at West End Christian Community. Been around Salt and Light Central for a long time. And looking forward to being able to talk with you on this particular topic. It just feels like the Lord's been impressing a lot of things about this on me. And uh, um, definitely we're going to be discussing things and, you know, talking about something that is touching all of us. So, if you didn't know, this is called Facing Today's Giants. The challenge of being the church in the 21st century. And I'll just read a little blurb because that's what we're going to be talking about in particular. When we survey the vast array of new Goliaths threatening our churches and our mission in these days, it seems like we don't have a grid for this. Or do we? We'll take time to discuss the unique challenges facing the church and our culture today and how we can respond. Father, thank you so much for this time together. I ask that you would govern our uh, discussion that you'd govern our thinking that you'd govern our our uh, you know even that you'd help us through as we try to work through this we thank you in Jesus name father amen okay well so what are our goliaths cuz we we're talking about these these giants so uh, anybody want to let's work out up a list social media Social media. Ooh, well, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that doesn't seem bad in and of itself, but when it gets in the hands of human beings, we find all kinds of horrible things to do with it. Like, we've actually created a vigilante justice system using, the social, using social media, Twitter particularly. When, when a famous person does something that displeases the masses out there, they, they, they strafe them with uh, horrible insults and t things that for a, an actor or an actress that, that you know, really f has a need for people's approval, that just fills them full of holes and, uh, and hurts them very badly. So yeah, we have uh, great evil potential with social media. The maelstrom of sexuality. Oh yeah, well, okay, yeah, I mean, we write one word Sexuality. Oops, I don't even spell it right. <laughs> Sexuality. Oh my goodness. Okay. I need to. Sorry, Rob. No, no, no problem. Okay, let's try again. I'm using capital letters, and I think that's I'm not used to it. Sexuality. There. Um, well, it seems like there are so many things. We're talking about the things that are challenging the church or putting pressure on the church in these days. And let's be clear. It's not just pressure. It's not a bunch of Goliaths out on the mountain somewhere, you know, railing against the church from the outside. We're finding the giants in our midst as well. And it's like, how did they get in here? Well, there's reasons for that, and we'll talk about them maybe. So sexuality, if we break it down into issues, any particular issues that, are, are, that we're feeling as the church in the 21st century? Gender blurring. Mm -hmm. Gender issues, yeah, that's right. It, it, I think it's still called gender dysphoria, um, but it's been turned into an art, and a, and a beautiful art at that. All the different genders you can choose to be, and how fluid it is. It yeah. can come and go just like a gentle breeze. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, uh, okay. 
Anything else? Same-sex attraction. Okay, yeah, same-sex attraction. Which ironically is, this is immutable. You can't change this. There's no fluidity. There's all kinds of fluidity in gender, but no fluidity in, uh, in your, your sexuality or your orientation. It's kind of funny because you find the two, the, the two types of activists almost arguing against each other in, in various ways. So same-sex attraction is a really difficult one. And the particular pressure on the church that's happening these days. Any, um, anyone know what conversion therapy is? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you, uh, the people who are using that term don't seem to know what it is. Conversion therapy was a, it's like a psychological technique using a, a series of, uh, you know, uh, 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 procedures to try to help somebody, psychological procedures to help somebody move from same-sex attraction to opposite-sex attraction. And, um, you know, it was recognized by the American Psychiatric Association for years and years and years, and suddenly, no. Suddenly, it's not only not, they're, they're saying that it's not helpful, they're saying that it's horribly harmful. And now there's a big gallop to, uh, you know, conversion therapy is now its, it's, its own little, it's, it's, its own little world in itself that, uh, you know, this should be illegal. And now there are many states in the United States that are moving to make it illegal for anyone to counsel somebody who has same-sex attraction, even if they don't want it anymore. Yeah. Um, there, there's moves, there, there's sort of positioning to try to make that illegal. And uh, beyond that, now they're starting to broaden the definition of, of conversion therapy to include, well, you, you sit down with a pastor in a church, and mm -hmm. if you talk about these things as a pastor and you try to help someone come out of an unwanted same-sex attraction. If you've been, oh, I mean, the, the way they say it is, if you've, gotten, if you've gotten money for that somehow, that's conversion therapy. <laughs> Illegal, bad. You know, so there's pressure on the church right now. Pastors are going like, man, what, what I, I mean, this is more in the States than in Canada, but it's definitely here in Canada. The attitude is and the push is. So, yep, gender issues, same-sex attraction. Pornography. Pornography, wow, yeah. Pornography. Our world is of two minds about it. Like, our world doesn't know what to think about it. The church, we know that it's wrong. The world uh, is, like I say, they're so Jekyll and Hyde with the world, uh, depending on which particular issue is at hand regarding pornography. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know what? I'm going to write down sex before marriage as well. Mm -hmm. um, because we've almost forgotten about that one. Mm -hmm. uh, as the world has come to the conclusion that you date, then you have sex, then you live together, and then you have children, mm -hmm. and then you get married if there's really, really a commitment after that. And you know what? It sounds, it sounds dumb to the church. It's way out of order. But to the world, that's actually, they consider that moral. That's a good order of things. That's a, there's integrity in it for them. Um, and unfortunately, right in the midst of our own churches, our young people have been thoroughly educated and indoctrinated in that idea. Yeah. And the reason is because the church isn't saying anything to the contrary. Mm. Anyways, so. Mm. The push for the um, sex ed in schools. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, let's put that here as well. Uh, sex ed in schools. Um, 
Yeah, what the schools are doing now is making rights-based sex education programs. It's not about what's right and wrong. It's not about intimacy. It's not about humanity. It's about my rights. Like, and I mean, we know this in Canada, especially, we worship rights in Canada. We have our own Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and uh, yeah, that's been a, a crazy thing. Uh, it's got good potential, but it's been used in bad ways. Uh, so sex ed in schools, they're wanting to go further and further down in level and make sure there's indoctrination regarding uh, gender diversity and fluidity and making sure that the idea of same-sex attraction, that there's absolutely, it's, it's, it's considered not wrong in the least, that uh, sex before marriage is just a matter of, well, what you consider, and uh, like your rights. It's your right to have sex before marriage if you want. Like, you know, and I mean, literally that's true, but is it morally true? <laughs> it's not. So, okay, anything else? Complacency. Oh, complacency. Yeah, complacency. And what are you thinking? Are you bold? Yeah. Yeah, nice yeah. to meet you. Uh, just, just the, 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 the church not acting when, when called. Um, mm. the, the, it is so easy to get involved in social media is one of the things in the younger generation with video games. Right. Uh, people toning out of their own families and out of their own communities, those types of things. Right. Being called into action and taking that call up and eating it. Right, head in the sand, eh? That we're watching, we're watching the world grow into this. Uh, actually, I believe the world has changed. There's been a transition that's taken place, probably. I think it's it's still taking place, but I think it's taken place at least in in Canada, where um, we like a fundamental shift has happened. This isn't just, you know, like if you clock back to 1950, this isn't just about us sitting around going, yeah, isn't rock and roll terrible? Elvis shouldn't be doing what he's doing and stuff like that. Like, it's a different. It's almost like a whole other league mm -hmm. has happened, and we'll we'll talk about that in in a minute. About do we have a grid for this? Abortion. Uh, yeah. Oh, say what? Abortion. Yeah. It's. Uh, we know that abortion is wrong, but the church has been. Uh, there's pressure on the church because abortion has been linked. To uh, feminism, actually, it, it's a it's a coattail issue. As uh, as from the 70s, as as women's rights are good, there's nothing wrong with that. Feminism has its own its own thing in it that uh, you know radical feminism and etc. As that pushed through the status quo on its coattails, this actually got attached to it as that abortion became a women's rights issue. And, um, you know, that's a stretch as it is to try to narrowly look at it that way. But, uh, yeah, the church has, has been facing that for a long time. Some really encouraging things happening in the States mm -hmm. regarding that. Yeah, go ahead. Selfishness and, and a me mentality. Oh, okay. Because it hits our churches in, like, service. Yes. We want to put our own rights and our own time in place of serving others. That's true. The whole idea of volunteerism, we all love it. We all think that, that, we all, that, that everybody should be helping. The world actually likes that value as well. Only thing is the world is trying to uh, move in that value without, any, um, without God's help, without 
without the, the whole idea that we're doing this because we value the Lord and his kingdom, etc. And I mean, that peters out real quick, that, that kind of energy for volunteerism. Um, so uh, in the church, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, Carlin, you're saying that that attitude has kind of found its way into the church in a way that's affecting us. We're, we're not able to fulfill our mandate as the church because the body of Christ isn't self-aware. And the, the body of Christ is all disjointed. And, you know, when you're selfish, it gets really gets real quiet in there in terms of, you know, you being disconnected really from others. Social media and etc. that's a great way to connect, but it's this deep, eh? Mm-hmm. I mean, actual three-dimensional human beings interacting with each other, there's no replacement for it. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we're all disjointed and disconnected, and there's a real sense of, I'm here to, to listen to worship, and then to maybe have a donut and a coffee and say hi to somebody, listen to a message that I like, mm-hmm. and then go home. And that's that sense of entitlement that the world mm-hmm. feels to everything that ends up leaking into the church, and we can't function like that. Yeah? Truth. Truth. Talk about that a little bit. Especially in the context of academia mm. and this whole abstract, arbitrary truth is whatever you want it to be. Oh, okay. So I'll use a small T for that one. Mm-hmm. So truth versus truth. Uh, relative truth and absolute truth and etc. I remember somebody saying to me, there's no such thing as absolute truth. And I said, do you believe that absolutely? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it, the conversation didn't get better from there just because you have a clever answer. That never tends to... Anyways, um, yeah, the whole idea of truth and that's really finding it. I was very grateful for Ron McLean talking about well, he was really talking. He was talking about Barney and honoring uh, Barney Coombs and and the values, the things he held dear, and what he was really talking about. What we hold dear, foundationally, as our salt and light family of churches, the Word of God. I loved when he started talking about it, the inspired Word of God. Oh, it's a breath of fresh air, because the church itself is floundering in this. Have you noticed that uh, you just have to? The church is. It's floundering in division, and the division is actually about the truth of the Word of God. When you kind of move away all the other side issues, it's really about the Word of God, and is it inspired or not? And I'm really glad that we as a family of churches were settled in that, that yes, it is inspired. Oh, praise the Lord. But, political yeah. correctness. Political correctness. Hmm. Talk about that a little bit. Well, the whole um, idea of that... Uh, we can only say what is politically correct. Yeah. It's almost like somebody, there's there's a language police. And uh, uh, we're seeing this more and more in some of these other things that, you know, that we've looked at. We're seeing the language police emerging and wanting to tell us how to talk and how not to talk. Um, and that makes things very difficult because if you don't play that game, if you don't play nice, then the label maker comes out. You know, something a phobe, right? <laughs> On you. There, there are many or a few phobes there. Um, yeah, so, and I don't know why people who don't like bullying feel real free to label other people <laughs> who don't agree with, with some of the other stuff that they're talking about. And how, Anyways. That, and how that also affects um, 
how some things are okay and politically correct, mm -hmm. but when it relates to Christian things, it mm. is not. Yeah, we're we're affected by a double standard. Mm -hmm. It's true. I don't, you know, we're not allowed to be bitter about those things. The Lord doesn't allow us to to get offended about those things. Uh, that there's a double standard. In this world, you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Oh, those are encouraging words when you're called names. But there's a double standard, it's true, um, and it's not fair. And wow, we can see it really clearly how it seems it's open season on Christians. <laughs> but it's everybody else you got to tiptoe around or you know, walk on eggshells. Um, it's, hey, that's not fair. And it's the Lord Jesus. Yeah, you're right, it's not fair. It's the world that the church is in. So I'm going to, you have a really good idea of the kinds of giants that we're facing in the 21st century. Uh, the, you know, the church all through history, they faced versions of these things. Um, but I would say, as we move from here to here, do we have a grid for this? Have we experienced this before? Uh, I would say no and yes. So I'll start with no. In our lifetime, as Canadians or Americans, never before. Brothers and sisters, we are a unique generation in the sense that uh, in our lifetimes, in our society, both Canadian and American, we've never been this way before. Uh, and I'll try to explain that a little bit. So do we have a grid for it? No. This is new ground, which makes us really want to run to that, to the Lord for, for these things. Previous, uh, like in most of our lifetimes, uh, we can, most of us can remember a time when the government and the church really morally, we didn't have much difference, differences with one another because the government was using the same moral playbook as the church, which would be the Bible. That's what Canada was founded on. That's, you know, the United States. That's, that's a big part of their history as well. The Bible has always been considered to be the moral compass for our society. And now that's not saying that they went in the direction of that compass. No, people do all kinds of immoral things, all kinds of horrible things. But they never before in our lifetime said, no, no, it's right. They always said, it's wrong and I don't care. And that's a different thing than saying, no, what I'm doing is actually even more moral than what you're doing. That's what we're in, folks. The way it used to be is um, the Bible was considered, at least nomin nominally in our society, to be a moral standard for everybody. It kind of worked <laughs> for everybody. Believers really held on to it and valued it and wanted to move forward in it. Unbelievers weren't, but they knew where it was. And they knew which direction it pointed. Those days are gone I, I believe those days are gone now. And we're in another society, a different one, where not only have they said, uh, I'm not obeying this, but they're saying, I'm not obeying this, and I have a new and different and improved moral standard that's higher than yours. I'm speaking to Christians. That our society believes they have the high moral ground now. And we're the immoral ones. Now, if you haven't got that impression yet, it's coming. 
uh, I, I've seen it, where there's actually a superiority, a feeling of superiority in our society, that we're, being, we're on the wrong side of history. Ever heard that one? Christians are on the wrong side of history? Uh, we've got the world loud and proud now about a moral, it's a moral code that they've got that uh, contravenes the word of God in many places. And now we're stuck being the bad people. So we've never experienced this as a Canadian society before, where suddenly the church is the bad guy. Where the, the church, we're the bad people. The ones who don't, you know, the, who don't know what's going on. The ones who need to be reprogrammed. I don't want to get into the science fiction side of all of this. <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah, like that, that we're the bad ones. And you know what? That's a significant shift. It's never, we've never been this way before. But at the same time, I would say yes, we do have a grid for this. We have a wonderful grid for this. And I think the wonderful grid for this is the Word of God, the Bible, particularly the book of Acts. If you're, if you're wondering where to read the Bible these days, the book of Acts. And the reason I say that is because the society we have right now is very much like first century Roman Empire. Um, the Roman Empire, just to make things clear, the Roman Empire, uh, it was a vast empire. They conquered many different, you know, lots of territory, lots of different cultures and everything. And then they were saddled with, well, how do we govern these people now that we've conquered them? How do we keep the peace in this far-flung empire that we've got? And the way they did it was with pluralism. The very thing that we tout in Canadian society as that we're a pluralistic society. Pluralism has lots of great uh, aspects to it. But what the Romans said is, you know, you can worship any god you like. Just make sure you worship Caesar once a year. You know, you, you, you pay your money, give your ticket, you know, make your sacrifice. But then from that time, just any god you want is okay with us. Come to the games. Entertainment. See people get killed and maimed in the games. And... Uh, uh, you know, and, and, you know, come to the, the orgies, come to the feasts as well. You know, forget about it all and just have a great time. Do whatever you like. So those were the, that was Roman society. Christians, as the, the Christians grew in number, um, they became noticed by the Romans. And they weren't favorably noticed because they avoided the games. I mean, what kind of people would stay away from the games? Bad people, people that you can't trust because they're not participating in society. So they're not coming to the games. They're not participating in the orgies. What's wrong with these people? Or, have you ever seen ever heard about their religious rites? These people drink blood, for goodness sakes. They have these horrible, immoral rituals. They only believe in one God. That makes them atheists. That's how Romans viewed Christians. Romans actually felt they had the high moral ground. That, uh, that, that those bad Christians, that, 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 you know, let's blame them for everything. Because nobody will care, right? <laughs> let's, let's make open season on the Christians. Because they could. Because Christians weren't trusted. Christians were considered immoral. They were considered atheists. They were considered weird ritual people. Even incestuous 
calling themselves brother and sister and being married and stuff like that. So, we're not there today, yet, but in terms of attitude, I see the attitude where our society around us is telling us that what we believe is immoral and what they believe is moral. That to me is the big shift. That's where all of a sudden it's a higher stake. All of a sudden it's not like just discussing Elvis and the Beatles and stuff. It's got something more to it. Where suddenly the church, for the first time in, it, in our lives anyways, we're the bad guy. Really. People who don't know the church, don't know Jesus, you talk to them and they're thoroughly programmed. They thoroughly believe that it's the Christians are bad. Narrow-minded, haters, all, all manner of bad things because they believe bad things. They don't participate in the things that society considers to be good. They don't buy in to all the things that society is valuing. So that's where we're at right now, folks. So we don't have a grid for it. But praise the Lord, we do have a grid for it in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And as we read about what did the church do? What did the first century church do when they faced faced off against their society? Did they become activists too? Uh, I think it would be pretty tough to try to paint Jesus as a political activist or the first century church. But what did the church do? Now that we've kind of shifted things to first century, book of Acts, etc., etc., what did the church do in that context? They preached the gospel. Even they were told not to. Never ever preach the gospel about, uh, share the gospel of Jesus again. And they knew they couldn't obey that. It wasn't that they were mad. I don't get that from, you know, when they were having a little interview with uh, Peter and John, you know, where they say, judge whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather, uh, rather than God. I don't think they were angry and shaking their finger and everything. I think they were going like, we're stuck. These are a bunch of fishermen, right? They're not, they're not looking for trouble. And so they're going like, okay, God told us to do it. You said not to. What do we do? We have to do it. And so I think that was more the attitude. By the way, while we're in Acts 4 there, what did they do as soon as they were told never ever to speak in the name of Jesus again? What did they do? What was the first thing? Well, that was actually maybe the second or third thing. <laughs> but they did, you're right. What was the first thing they did? Well, that was definitely the second thing they did. What was the first thing they did? Rejoiced. Say what? Rejoiced. They rejoiced? Well, okay, you're thinking of a different one. They, they healed someone. That happened first, actually. What? Yeah, that's right. Now they left. They left the presence of the Sanhedrin there. What did they do after that? Actually, you know what? Am I even on? Maybe I'm in the wrong story. Maybe I've mixed up two stories. This is the one where they've they've healed the blind, uh, not the blind, the lame, the the lame beggar, and then they were arrested and called in and told never to speak in the name of Jesus again. They left and went straight where? Oh wow! No, actually, it wasn't the temple. I better make sure I'm right. I mean, I'm reading the same Bible. Okay, thank you. Okay, 
Oh yeah, I'm in the right chapter. I'm okay. And you're okay too. Okay, good. I was starting to wonder. Okay, well, what did they do? On their release, verse 23, chapter 4. What did they do? Okay, that was a little They waste. went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. Exactly. They went back to their own. They went straight. Well, and we need, as the church today, we've got to really be tight. We've got to really be unified. We've got to find each other when there's persecution, which means that the church needs to be connected. We can't be a bunch of little islands anymore. It doesn't work that way when there's persecution. We need each other. And they went straight to their own. And they reported all that had happened. We need to be talking with one another about what we're facing. It's, it's beautiful, all these congregational updates. You know, talking about all the wonderful things each congregation is doing, but also our challenges. We need to know about those so we can pray for one another and support one another in the pressures that we face to be the church. Then they prayed, Lord, Sovereign Lord. They used that word. We need to know that God is sovereign in these days, don't we? That uh, even though things seem to be like they're going crazy or haywire, he's sovereign. He's in charge. And that's the first thing they realize is in prayer, sovereign God. Oh, and actually, you could do your, whole, your own study on, okay, what does the church do when it faces times like we're in right now? It's a beautiful study. Then they raise their voices together. Omotimadon. Together. And it's such a small word in English and such a huge word in the, in the original Greek. It means to, to they're together as they linked arms. It's, it's the idea of linking arms. But not just that. It's the idea of mo- walking forward with arms linked. And that's not even good enough. It's the idea of running forward with your arms linked. And that's not good enough. It's the idea of running forward like warriors with your arms linked. Ah! <laughs> that's how their together was. And you know what, brothers and sisters, that's how our together needs to be in these days. Amen? Yeah. So, uh, that's just a little taste, and I'm, I'm the only one facing the clock here, so I know there's five minutes left. Um, solutions? Preach the gospel. We heard some other ones. Oh, gotta pray. And I'll tell you, I'm not sure. As the church in North America, I think we haven't even really got a good grip on this yet as the church. We're getting there, but there's nothing like the pressure to get us get the church praying. And uh, there's no shortage of that now from the inside and the outside. So we need to preach the gospel. We need to pray. Um, we need to uh, uh, practically live out our faith. By the time the 4th century rolled around in Rome, the Christian population was significant enough. There was an emperor named Julian, Julian the Apostate. He was trying to get a revival going for paganism because the Christians were kind of knocking, taking the wind out of their sails. So he was trying to get a revival happening amongst pagans, which it's really hard. We haven't got the Lord or anything. So, yeah, and it's not working and he's getting frustrated. And I just want to read, this is, what, this is what the church did in these days. He's writing in frustration because his efforts to revive paganism aren't working. And he's talking about the Christians. He calls them the Galileans. And he says, he's writing, For it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg, 
and the impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that people lack aid from us. So the Christians, what were they doing? They were getting on with the business of being Christ followers, taking care of the Jews, taking care of their own poor, taking care of the Roman poor as well. And here's Julian trying to get, you know, trying to get some wind in the sails of paganism. It's not going to happen. Not when God's people are doing that. Yeah. Right? So we need to practically live out our faith. As I say, we're not uh, to be an angry activist. Hmm. I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily say that that's the way to go. That's how all of these issues got pushed through in the first place. Uh, activism, it's a profession now uh, where people, activists push and push and push. All of these issues didn't just happen. That's been on the boil for decades. And pushing against the status quo. The politicians are holding them back because they want votes and they, and they don't think people want these ideas. But then they watch the polls, the politicians. Then the polls end up shifting a little bit to the point the politicians get the sense that the people won't really care. Not enough to vote them out anyways. So they open up the gate and all the activists come running through into open ground. And now they're all like, wow, this is great. There's no resistance at all. And they push further and further because that's who activists are. That's what they do. They're very focused. And they've got a goal in mind and it's like far. So they'll run as far as they can with something and just sort of think of some of these issues and what's been happening. As the door has been opened by the politicians, the activists are running. Now the politicians, they turn around and instead of being the ones keeping the door closed, they're running with the activists going, yeah, yeah, this is us, eh? make sure you vote for us. And they run, and now the activists have got an interesting strategy, especially in Canada, and that is they don't want to lose any ground as time goes by or opinions change, so now they're going to entrench things. They're making everything about rights. So now we're, let's entrench things in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms as we go so that nobody can push it back uh, again. So I, I call this period of time where activists are running free as d the dark days, uh, as far as issues go, because common sense doesn't rule. Activists, they can't be accused. They're like, well, you can't expect them to have common sense necessarily. I'm not trying to disparage activists. Very focused, very passionate. But they're, they're not famous for balance, right? That's not the definition of an activist necessarily. So they're running. Then the politicians say, you give us policies. We want you to tell us what to do about these issues. The activists go, sure. And they write something that is an activist manifesto of some kind that has no balance in it. And the politicians go, great, let's just do this, rubber stamp. And now the days get a little darker because now it's not balance or common sense that's ruling, even though it's worldly. And then, at some point, the silent majority who's just stayed silent, maybe didn't even know about it or whatever, suddenly they look and they go, this is dumb. And then it stops. And they don't allow it anymore. And all the activists, they run up against the wall and bounce off and everything. The dark days are over. A little bit of balance comes, but there's a lot of ground that was taken already. For a lot of these issues, I actually haven't seen that last bit yet where the silent majority goes, this is just dumb. It lacks common sense. 
Mm -hmm. um, and you know as well as I do that a lot of these policies and such, they're very damaging. And they lack common sense as well because it's activists who've written the policies. So, anyways, what do we do as the church? Are we going to be like the activists? Is that how we're going to get our issues going forward? We can't. Christianity's an inside-out thing. It's not outside-in. What are we going to do? Like, I mean, activists don't care. They'll oppress people to get their way. We can't do that. We're not allowed to do that. I mean... The church in the past has tried that. It doesn't work. You can't do it from the outside in. So my suggestion would be pray for activists. Pray that the Lord would get hold of them and that their passion and their vision would uh, turn to passion and vision for the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Then you got something inside out happening which probably is better. Have compassion. We're not allowed to hate anybody. So, we've run out of time. And, oh, no, we haven't solved all these problems. <laughs> I'm sure you thought that was going to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry about that. All we could do is touch it. All we could do is think a little bit together. And I, and I think we've done that. 